created live on Fireside. All right, everyone. Welcome to another YNS Live with NFL Thread with our guest, Jennifer Archuleta. How are you? I'm good. How are you? We are good. Cynthia and I are really excited. We know we're going to give everyone a little background where we, you were at the Thread event. You were also um, a model on um, at the uh, fashion show mm-hmm. for the Off the Field, which was amazing. You had such a gorgeous dress. Um, and then you and Adam, your husband, uh, walked down the, you know, the platform. And I know Cynthia and I were excited when you reached out because we're going to really get into the charity child's help that you're a part of. But we would love for you to give us a little background about you, you know, where you grew up a little bit. And then we're going to kind of get into the journey with you and Adam, your, your husband that has been in the NFL, who now is on CBS. Uh, and so we would love for you to get into a little bit about like you growing up a little bit about who you are, if siblings, you know, and all that. And I see your, your dogs, which I know we're going to get into because <laughs> I'm a huge dog lover. Yes. Um, well, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. It was a very small town. Um, really hardworking, good people, you know, um, there weren't a lot of fancy things growing up. I had a great childhood, but it was very, um, you know, it was, it's tough. Sometimes I went to a really tough high school growing up. Um, if you ever saw the movie dangerous minds, I'm probably going to age myself, but that's the kind of high school I went to. It was, you know, uh, a lot of fights. It was not a lot of learning. It was just a lot of like just getting through the days. And um, so I hated school. I hated going to school. Um, I got in many fights. People always look at me like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you used to fight. But I had to. Um, and then, you know, I started working at 12 years old and I started busting tables. I was always really hungry and I always had like good work ethics. And I even sold vacuums door to door. I mean, I was just always looking for something wow. to make a quick buck. And um, many times I have two smaller brothers and um, I have a sister. So they're a lot younger than me. And so when I did work, I would buy them things that maybe my mom couldn't. So I always had like a huge heart and um, I always um, was doing for others. I became a candy striper at 12 years old too, which I don't know if anybody knows what that is, but, Mm -hmm. um, sorry, I got something in my eye. Um, (laughs) it's, um, basically like I would volunteer at the hospital and I would bring flowers to people. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. Fix your eye. Cause I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I got some questions there because I know, uh, I mean, Cynthia and I can go back. I know you said you aged yourself, but I feel like we're, we're kind of all in the same age there. And I think it's important for people to hear that you, you know, always wanted to work. You always wanted to, you know, to bring in. Where do you think that kind of came from? Was it your upbringing where you just knew that you wanted to, you know, provide? Or do you yeah. think it was something that was just really in, innate in you? Well, I think um, when you don't have a lot, you don't know what you're missing. But for some reason, I always wanted more and I always wanted to do more for uh, other people. So I don't really know where that came about because like I said, the school I went to, 
we nobody had money and it was just like I said everybody was just trying to survive so I just I don't know where that came from but I always was like I want to buy a waterbed you know every half my family has blue eyes because they're Irish Polish I wanted color contacts all that stuff I mean it's silly <laughs> but it costs money and um so and I wanted to buy my own car I wanted this beautiful prom dress so those were the things that I'm like, you know what, if I want those things, I got to try to find a way to, you know, get it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really understandable. And I think I grew up with five um, and, you know, we grew up in a town that was a wealthy town, but my parents were divorced and my mom was the school teacher. And when we did fine and never thought anything of it, but same, like as a young kid, I always worked, I always babysat. I always brought things in because I knew that if I, you know, I didn't want to put the pressure on my parents, really. I didn't want to put the pressure and make them feel. So I kind of went out there and did that. So at 12, you were a candy striper. And now did your siblings, I know they were a lot younger, but did they also have that same worth ethic that you did? No, I don't think so. I mean, I was, I was working and donating my time. I mean, that's probably why I didn't do very well in school. <laughs> so I also worked at my grandmother's church. I liked to help her, you know, on bingo nights and I'd pass out the chips and, you know, the drinks. And, um, I don't know. I just was really always hungry. I was always really busy and I was always trying to do everything and anything. I took ballet. I took tap. I took jazz. I was a cheerleader. I tried track. Um, so I was just like a busy body and I just wanted to do it all. But, um, the candy striper for me, it was just like giving back and, um, just making people happy. That was another thing in my life that I always loved doing at a very, very young age. If there was the ugly dog with one leg, I wanted him before the one that everybody went off after that was purebred. If there was a dirty doll on the shelf that had been sitting in Kmart at the time, um, I wanted that doll as opposed to the one that was boxed. I was always trying to save anything and everything from a young age. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Um, Jennifer, I want to tell you that um, a couple of things resonate. First of all, um, you know, as a founder of Thread, being you being at the Super Bowl event, I was so excited that you came to the Thread event and that everybody got to meet you and that you got to, you know, introduce your story to a lot of the people that were attending. Um, the whole purpose of like what we do is to introduce NFL women to an audience that has no idea what NFL women are really all about and your conversation, the beginning of it today is it's a testament to that. And it's funny because I'm a Pittsburgh girl, but I married a Youngstown boy oh, wow. and yeah. And we discussed it um, throughout his entire playing career. Um, where are we going to raise our children? And we decided to raise them in Youngstown, you know, right outside of Youngstown because he wanted our children to have that worth ethic, worth ethic. And I say worth ethic because it's something that Juliet says accidentally all the time and we laugh about it. But it really, when you have that work ethic and you're raised in that environment to work and to be hungry and to have the values, it does create worth. And I think that, um, so I'm really excited to continue talking to, to you today about this because I think that, um, Seeing my own children grow up in that environment, I see them working hard and I see the values in them. And I'm sure it's something you cherish, the fact that you were raised in that environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's um, I 
I don't even know like how to teach my kids that. I see, I sometimes I feel like it's just part of them because I feel like we're all kind of pre-programmed to some extent. But yeah, it's like, it's not something that can be taught. So that's amazing that you did that. And I probably know your husband since we're all around the same age. And, um, <laughs> but my husband was just like, you know, I, he could never deal with cold weather. So he likes warm environments. He's from Green River, Wyoming. So he's just like, there's no way. <laughs> right. I can appreciate. Well, the only reason that you really do that is because of family and community. Yeah. Nobody would really say, let's transplant our family, you know, to, you know, <laughs> a cold part of the world and, you know, like a small town. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. And we have so a I'm... big. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You have a big. I mean, we have such a big family there too. Like we usually go back in June when it's warmer. And I mean, I have like 40 cousins that my kids like go and visit and see. And so everybody, like, it's, it's pretty interesting. Not a lot of people in my family have left. So I was like one of the, the very few that left. So it's interesting. Oh my goodness. That's great. Well, I'm glad you can go home and enjoy them. And I, I just think that has to mean a lot to your children too. And for you, for your kids to see where you're from and know your people like that, those summer trips are important. Yeah. And just how we're so close considering there's so many of us, there really wasn't really any, I mean, there's been hardships throughout our lives, but like everybody uh, is very close and we're all very supportive and good people. I love that. And I know when Cynthia and I were doing a little research, you know, she came across and was like, oh my gosh, another Ohio girl. And so mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it is a, where you grow up and kind of the world parts of where you grow up really does establish and lay the foundation of who you are. Like my husband grew up in the Bronx, you know, very hardworking family. He had a job since he was 12, you know, uh, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. And even though we grew up in very different places, our, my mom was from the city, you know, my mom was a New Yorker. And so she had those, you know, th those kind of things. And so we can teach our kids, even if we're bringing our kids up in a little bit of a different environment, maybe we have a little right. bit more than we had growing up, which I think is, is, you know, which is, uh, which is wonderful. So I would love to, kind of dive into your next part. So you're, you know, working as a young kid and you hated school. I totally hear you. I'm dyslexic. So, uh, school was like torture for me. I did play sports. So I did go to college and play sports in school, but, um, the learning part of school was not fun for me, but you know, knowing that it was going to get me somewhere else with my athletics is why I kind of continued that. So where did your path lead at, as you left Ohio? So when I left Ohio, like I said, I wasn't running from anything. Um, I love my family. Um, I remember my mom used to always watch like the news or something. She's like, oh my gosh, it's always sunny in California. And those kind of like small things always stick out to you as a kid, like just little, just little like things here and there. And, you know, I used to watch Baywatch growing up, you know, those shows. And so I just remember, um, I was working two jobs at the time and in high school, and I was really proud of my job. I was like a, a manager at 579 at the time. I was also working at uh, Papa John's. And so I had two really good jobs. I was doing really well, obviously financially working two jobs. And I just kept thinking like, there's gotta be something better. There's gotta be something bigger. I want the sunshine. I want the big city. I mean, I dated some really nice people throughout high school, but I didn't want to marry my high school sweetheart. 
and I didn't want to be in that small town. And so I uh, started dating a bear cat. He was a Cincinnati and um, we started dating and you know, he's my cousin had moved to California who I was really close with and I looked up to him. He was a little bit older than me and this guy was his best friend and he pretty much said, we're moving to California. And I thought, oh, you know, that sucks. I'll have this long distance relationship. And I didn't even know if I could get on an airplane and, you know, go visit him and things like that. And then one day he said, why don't you come and visit me? And I thought, oh my gosh, I hadn't even been on an airplane. And I was, mm -hmm. um, you know, 17, 18 at the time. So basically I went on an airplane and I visited him and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to move here. And I went back home and I told everybody I was moving to Los Angeles. I, they thought I was absolutely crazy. I remember I, I quit my jobs. I had $500 and my dad said to me, um, I don't want you to go, but I was 18 and I would pack my car with clothes and I remember it was raining that day and he would be taking piles of clothes out of my car. <laughs> and all I really had was clothes because I was working retail. And so um, I had tons of clothes. And so basically, you know, I packed my car. They had a going away party. Everybody brought like it was like almost like a graduation. You know, everybody brought envelopes and oh. I moved to California with $500. And I'll shorten the story because obviously there's a lot of things that probably happened. But I drove across country and I had a purple shadow convertible, Dodge Shadow. And okay. I remember driving across country and I hadn't seen some of the states. They were so beautiful. I We didn't, we vacationed, you know, to Florida when I was growing up. And I think I went to Niagara Falls, New Jersey. But um, we didn't do too much traveling back then. And so I was just in awe of all these places. And I remember driving um, across country and I was in Colorado and we were going through the Rocky Mountains and it was, it was rain, it was snow, it was sunshine. And all of a sudden I remember they have these signs that say there's going to be falling rocks possibly, be careful, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And this right. big rock boulder I don't know what it was like came crashing down and I ran over it with my Dodge Shadow and it literally ripped the bottom of my car wow. like from the bottom and I was like Fred Flintstone <laughs> <laughs> trying to make it and so one very few people like I said of my family have moved away I had an aunt and uncle who actually is my godmother who lives in Colorado I met up with them and I spent $300 of my $500 fixing my car to make it to Los Angeles. And so then I finally fixed my car. I made it to Los Angeles and I was in a one bedroom apartment in Hollywood. It was off Orchid Drive. Janice Joplin, actually they do these like really morbid tours, but she, I guess, died in front of my Hollywood um, <laughs> apartment. <laughs> I used to, all these hearses always go by and they're like, that's where so-and-so died. And that's where so-and-so oh died. Oh my like, Janice Joplin had died in front of my, um, wow. my apartment. And I lived in a one bedroom. Uh, it was four people and I knew two of them. And uh, we would flip a coin and whoever got heads would sleep on the mattress. And it was like really hard. I would eat sometimes crackers. 
I would go to McDonald's and I'd eat the filet fish for like a dollar. <laughs> and the struggle was real. And so, um, you know, I was really like starving out there. And I remember my grandma, who I was very close with, she uh, would often send me uh, a box and there was like food in there. And then I also had to go to like a payphone, and I would call my family because we didn't have cell phones in 1995. My mom sent me with one cell phone that like never worked, but I would oftentimes walk to Hollywood Boulevard and I'd call my family from a payphone, and that was communication or writing them. Right. Wow. So it was very lonely. Wait. It was hard. Were they encouraging? Were they, you can do this, you're there, or were they like, come home? So did it make it even more difficult for you to stay? I mean, I think I didn't show them the struggle. I think a lot like you, like you just, you, you know, you want them, you, I, I don't want my parents to worry, you know, and I didn't want to put any burden on them. And it was my choice. And they always said, we can buy you a plane ticket home, but we can never go and help you financially make a life out there. And I knew that, and I knew that if I had probably moved to Cleveland or if I moved to New York, it would be easy to come back. But moving as far as I did, it was like I was going to survive this. Right. Well, it also shows your hard work and your work ethic because mm -hmm. you're determined, this is what I want, and this is how I'm going to do. So when you were in Los Angeles, where, like, what was your first job? Where did you start working and, and you know, kind of laying your foundation? So um, the production was really big out there. And so the, the roommates I had, they worked uh, like art department, our, um, craft service. They were, you know, um, they were production assistants and things like that. So it was kind of hard because it was all freelance. And so I got on some movie sets and I started to do freelance makeup. But it was inconsistent because sometimes you'd be on a movie for a couple of months and then sometimes you wouldn't work, which that was the beauty of L.A. too. You see all these people having lunch during the day and you're like, what the heck are they doing? You know, how are they having lunch during the day? And it's pretty amazing. But, you know, that was what I did. And so I did um, special effects and I the biggest movie. I worked on that some people might know as Blade with Wesley Snipes. Mm -hmm. And I remember painting all these girls in blood, you know, because that was the scene. Right. And I remember this one girl was like, I need lip gloss. I need this. And I'm kind of like, come on, people. Like, you're extras, number one. Number two, <laughs> like, you're, you're painted in blood. It's like two seconds. Nobody's going to see your lip gloss. It was pretty obnoxious, <laughs> to say the least, to be around these people. And I was just like getting kind of hardened by the industry because it wasn't what I was used to growing up with. It was just like, everybody was very selfish and worried about themselves. And I wasn't really used to that. And, you know, at that time too, I was still doing volunteer stuff. I was volunteering at the vet, you know, um, helping them out, um, just like cleaning, dogs cages and things like that and then I would work on the movie sets and it wasn't very fulfilling and it was really really hard for me to meet people I even ended up getting a part-time job at a place called Fred Siegel's I don't even know if Fred Siegel's is there anymore but it was like the place to go shop and mm -hmm. I was just this country girl and I remember uh, Heather Locklear came in and I was like oh my gosh Heather Locklear like Melrose Place I can't believe this and um they had a bunch of perfume because I worked in the makeup department and uh, I ended up spraying her with room spray. 
instead of perfume. And my manager was mortified. But Heather Locklear was so kind and so sweet and was like laughing at me. And um, thank God I didn't get fired. But I just really, I just, I tried to make friends and I just couldn't. Everybody seemed like they had their, their, their like little click and they were happy. And um, that's where people would just like, they would just stay in these like clicks and I couldn't break these clicks. And it was so lonely. And I remember, I mean, this is embarrassing, but I don't care, but I was turning 21. I was in Los Angeles, still had my purple convertible shadow. And I was like, I just want to go have a drink. Like I'm 21 years old. It's my birthday. I want to go have a drink. And so sometimes I would go to bars and I would go inside of them and I would pretend like a friend stood me up and I would sit at the bar and I would, um, I would just sit there and have a drink. And sometimes people would come up to me because I was this young girl and I was really, you know, cute and dressed nice. And they would say, oh, you know, who are you here with? And I'd say, oh, my girlfriend got into a fight with her boyfriend and she got, you know, she's not showing up. And sometimes that's how I would at least have human contact outside Mm. of, you know, the movie sets and Fred Siegel's. That's hard. But that, I mean, that also gives you the grit. I mean, we all say stories connect us, right? So there's going to be people listening to this really connecting with you because of where you were and then where you, you know, where you are now and, and the platform that you have where you're helping so many people continuingly, because you actually said when you were younger, you always had that kind of that bone, right? That heart that was like, I want to help more people. So, um, and thank you for sharing that. Cause I know, you know, our, all of our, our little scars, right. We, we, you know, yeah. they really build us and they're not always easy, but we kind of can joke about them as we get older, but still at the time it wasn't funny, right. You know, you were lonely you were missing your family. You didn't want to tell them, you know, how much you were in pain because you wanted to make this work. Um, so did you ever have times where you're like, I'm just throwing it in and I'm going home? No, because I remember too, when I was in Ohio, everybody was like, oh, you'll be back. You're never going to make it. And mm. that stood in my mind. And I'm like, you know what? As much as like eating the fish at McDonald's sucked and not knowing anybody and flipping a coin to sleep on a mattress, there is no way I'm going to let these people know that I couldn't make it. And so um, that was really my drive. And it's like one of those things where in life, a lot of times the people that beat you down are the people you want to beat and, you know, you end up like succeeding because of them. Mm-hmm. In spite of them. So what was your moment? Where was the time when then you were like, oh, this opportunity, here it is, This or, or these are my people, or this is my opportunity. When did things turn, start to turn for you in Los Angeles? Well, I mean, I don't think they, it was always like, it was never an easy transition. It seemed like it was always a fight, you know, and that's what like, you know, I think kept me going too sometimes. Um So, you know, I'm not proud of this either, but I dated a really, really bad guy and he got into trouble. And it was just like one of those things where I was just naive. And I was just, like I said, I I call myself a country girl. I never thought I'd say that, but I was, and I was very naive. And I ended up dating a guy who was a really, really bad guy and he did very bad things. And I was a part of it. And I was in an abusive relationship for a good amount of time. And he got into a lot of trouble and he was in trouble with, in such trouble, it was like 
the FBI, DEA, like mm -hmm. U.S. Customs was involved. I had no involvement with this. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and with a person who was very, very mean to me. And so anyways, he ended up getting arrested and I uh, ended up having to, you know, um, be a part of a huge court case. And, you wow. know, the, the law enforcement did help me. And they basically, when they arrested him, they said, we saved your life. And I knew that at that time. And so ironically, right after that, and I feel like this is like a God wink. I was, um, I was so scared of everything that was going on that I ended up packing my bags again. And instead of moving to Ohio, because I didn't want to put my family at risk if there was a risk. I mean, when you're that young, you just think about these movies and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't go home. I can't do this. I ended up packing my bags again and I moved to Chicago and I knew nobody in Chicago again, but that was something I was used to. And so I moved to Chicago and um, I'm living in Chicago because that was a way for me to get away from the law enforcement and get away from just whatever craziness was going on. And I ended up working at uh, retail again. I was barely making ends meet. I remember it was the worst snowstorm. It was 1999. I had a RAV4 at the time because I was coming up in the world and I bought <laughs> myself a car and it was leased and it was nice. And I remember it got snowed in and um, my uh, manager called me. She's like, well, where are you? And I said, well, have you looked outside? Because in Ohio, things close down when it snows. And she's like, oh, no, honey. Like, the snow's not going away. You need to get on the L. And I'm like, what is the L? So I am now riding the L to work. And so it was just crazy. And so then the grandmother, who I was very close with, that I would work at the church with, um, Crazy is, uh, she was ill for a long time, but she ended up being rushed to the hospital. Like within a week, I got to Chicago and I couldn't believe she just called me and I, you just kind of know some things. And she just said, I'm not feeling well. And she went to the hospital that evening and I knew, and I just dropped the phone mm -hmm. and I got myself to Ohio and I held her hand and she died. Mm -hmm. So it was amazing because had I been in um, L.A., I wouldn't have been able to be there for that. Right. No. It's beautiful. And, yeah. Yeah. So that was like another God wink. So I just, I, I could start crying. That was like 20 some years ago. So no, then, but when you're close, when you're close to family that way, though, I mean, like, you know, we had my grandmother and I, I, I we were there when she passed and it is, it is something that it, that you never change from it. Like it, yeah. it does something to your heart and, and you, especially when you have that relationship. So, you know, I, I can feel your love for her. Um, right. and it's beautiful and she's always with you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and what a gift to be able to be so close to be able to get there for that moment, you know? Right. And so, and then I get a phone call from my apartment manager who is part of the investigation who I became friends with and the next door neighbor who was part of the investigation that I became friends with. And they uh, said, you know what? We really miss you. We felt sorry for you. Everybody knew what was going on and we want you to come visit L.A. And um, my neighbor had some money and he's like, I'll buy you a plane ticket. Just come out and just, you know, nobody will know you're here. And I, I went to L.A. and I stayed with my apartment manager who was stealing our trash and giving it to the FBI at the time. Like, it was just so funny to think that now these people were like, you know, they were they were 
doing something for the law enforcement, but they also felt sorry for me and they knew what I was right. going through and they reached right. out to me. And so she said, um, I have a job at the Playboy Mansion. Would you want to do the makeup there? It'll pay you like 500 bucks and you know, you could, um, have a job. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I need the money. And that's like a good amount of money quickly. So I, uh, went to the Playboy Mansion and I didn't know what to expect. And it was an honor of Kylie Bax, who was a supermodel. And, um, it was this party and I had to get these girls ready. And I was like the assistant. And so basically I got the girls ready and I was with another makeup artist and I brought some lingerie because I, I heard that, you know, they wear lingerie there at the parties and whatever. And so um, we were told by the staff that in security that we could not attend the party if we worked there. And so I thought, you know what? I've already been in trouble. Like I'm never coming back here. I'm going to this party. So good the makeup for you. Artist, yeah, I mean the makeup artist and I we put on our lingerie. We walked down and it was like being caught in your underwear. And my lingerie wasn't like real lingerie. It was like a really pretty like red bathing suit top and it was Valentine's Day. So it was like kind of like and I had this beautiful sarong <clears throat> and I walked down <clears throat> excuse me. And it was like being caught in my underwear. Everybody's like, Oh my gosh. Like everybody was in jeans and a t-shirt. You know how the models rolled back then. <laughs> and so BBC was there. They thought I was like this Valentine's day surprise. Um, everybody was like, what is going on? And I was like, Oh my gosh. And so Hugh Hefner calls me over to his table and he says, who are you? And I'd had a couple of drinks and I said, who are you? And he just started oh. laughing. He he was just so, so funny. And so I just thought at that moment, I was going to be thrown out by the man himself. And then I thought, oh, I was going to be on Current Affair and E and all this stuff. Like I got thrown out of this party. And so then basically security said, uh, we would like your phone number. And they took my phone number and um, uh, his daughter got in touch with me a couple weeks later and said, we want you to test to be a Playboy Playmate. <laughs> How crazy is that? Go ahead, Cynthia. Can, can I just say, can I just say that that was the young song coming out of you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that who are you? That who are you is totally something that anybody from Young Sound would crack up that you said that. Because that, yeah. that's in you, you know? Few drinks or not, that is so funny. So you said, who are you? And he just had to die laughing. And you created this opportunity for yourself, mm -hmm. which is wild. So fun. So but it, was a, it was a God wink again, because at that time, you know, Nicole Brown-Sitson had passed away and um, I was in an abusive relationship. And so uh, I remember I had instant money and instant friends. And I also had, um, oops, uh, I had, um, I had protection. Hef and then it was like I was in a situation where I don't want to say I was untouchable, but back then a little bit of fame carried you a long way. And so I couldn't really be harassed by certain people anymore because Hef was going to protect me and the Playboy family. And they knew the situation and they knew they were going to protect me. Right, which is amazing. And as you said, it's another God wink, but it also shows your grit, right? You're like, no, I'm here. I'm going to work. I'm going to you know, I'm going to put my mark down. What do I have to lose? And I think a lot of people sometimes pass those opportunities up because of fear. 
and they don't mm-hmm. do those kind of ballsy things. And if you don't, you have to do ballsy things in life to really get ahead. I mean, and, it, and it's true. You have to, you know, have confidence in yourself that like, okay, I'm going to do this and, and go out. So I, I, you know, I love that you shared that. Cynthia, did you have, want to add something? No, I think that's true. I mean, it's one thing you create the opportunity, but then you follow through with work, with hard work, and then also finding ways to use it as a positive platform too. So you're not just talking about, oh, here I have fame. You're like, I have a platform and I can talk about domestic abuse. I can talk about the things that I you know, experience to help others. So it all works really well together. Yeah. And the Playboy family, I mean, they, we did so much charity work. That was like 80% of my jobs. And, you know, your centerfold comes out once and, you know, unfortunately the internet was part of my centerfold. So there was a lot more than six pictures in a magazine, like most of the girls, which I didn't really think about at the time. But, you know, for me too, it was like the Youngstown came out in me where a lot of these girls didn't want to work. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much money. I get to fly around the world. They pay a per diem. I'm at the best hotels. And it was like, I didn't really, I went to Santa Monica college for a short bit, but I never had that college life. And I was like, like literally in a sorority traveling the world. I went as far as Bali, Indonesia. I mean, who could say they've done the things I've done and been the place I've been. I've seen every city. I, I had a blast, roped off. You always had security. I mean, right. it was awesome. That's amazing. So I yeah. do now. Uh, yeah, I love that. And I love how it's set up. But I love how, you know, where your life was and then where it went and then where it continued to go. So like, when did you and Adam meet? So uh, Adam and I, so Adam and I basically met in Las Vegas, which who would who would think that you would meet somebody there? And I was in Las Vegas, again, heartbroken. You know, I didn't date very many men, but I had to kiss a lot of frogs. And (laughs) this guy just really broke my heart. And I just couldn't believe that, you know, what what was happening, that I just couldn't find somebody that was good and kind and loyal. And we, I was at uh, Nine Steakhouse in the Palms. And, and again, Playboy had a really great relationship there with the Maloof brothers. We had right. the Playboy Club. I was on a Playboy slot machine. It was like really cool. Oh, so fun. I was eating at the Nine Steakhouse. It was March Madness. I had no idea what March Madness was. I'm not really a sports girl. I hardly know anything about football. And I'm there at uh, the Nine Steakhouse having dinner with a girlfriend. And I didn't even want to meet a guy. I was just there with my girlfriend. We were just having a couple of drinks. I promised her I would go there. And um, there were guys everywhere. That is the last place you want to be <laughs> to uh, <laughs> mend a broken heart and hang out with a girlfriend. So I was. we were having guys come up to us left and right. And so basically, I guess Adam was with all a bunch of his friends and they were all football players and he sent over the a bus or no he sent over the um waitress to me and he's she said these football players want to meet you and I thought oh my gosh like that is so bad that is so cheesy so embarrassing so I said if they want to meet us I'm not going over there he has to come over here and so she went back over to him and said she said stand in line and I did not say that so it was not, it was not like working. It looked really bad from the very beginning. And then this really sweet busboy, and his name is Jose. I would frequent the palms often and Adam would as well. It's very popular back then. 
And he said, Jennifer, you're a really nice girl. And Adam is a really nice guy. And I think you guys should meet. And he took me over. And we met. Oh, I love that. Yeah, we had the best time. It was truly, truly love at first sight. And we were together because I didn't have anybody in my life and he didn't have anybody in his life. We were there from that moment on. I remember him calling his agent the next day and he's just like, this girl's got me acting up. Like I'm missing my flight. I'm not coming back. And the agent's like, his name was Gary. He was like, keep your head on straight. Like stop this year in Las Vegas. And he flew home to, um, he actually flew home to LA with me. And he stayed with me in LA because he saw a doctor there that he really liked, a holistic doctor. And then I left for Miami because I had a job and I told him, here's the keys to my place. Lock up when you leave and that's it. So then basically I, um, I didn't know really too, too much about him, which is strange, right? I mean, I thought he was the financial advisor. I didn't even know he was a football player. There wasn't really Google back then. You just didn't do that kind of thing. I just knew he was good looking. I thought he was great. I was hoping he was the agent or the financial advisor because I did not want to date an athlete. And um, I end up taking off to Miami. I find out my grandfather passed away, who I was very close with again. And I end up taking a flight to Ohio to be there with my family. And then Adam and I are talking on the phone. We had Nextel at the time. So I think we were like, you know, always like doing the bad texting on Nextel and like doing the radio (laughs) calling or whatever you'd call it. And he basically said, um, you know, I really want to see you. And I thought, well, I've been here for my family. I've done everything I can. I don't want too much time to pass because you don't want the sizzle to go away. And I took a plane right from Ohio to Arizona and I had no idea. The serve, you know, the bus boy. That was yeah. like, yeah. you know, I got to know you guys and you're both good people. And it also probably, as you said, you know, you weren't in the best relationships. And to have this person that, you know, got to know you over the years or, you know, over the time, be like, no, 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 he's a good guy too. Um, probably was mm-hmm. just like really nice that you knew someone was also looking out for you, right? You had you know, the playboy behind you also, but now you have this other person that's kind of like, no, I just want to make, you know, I got your back. Yeah. And at that point in my life, I was really established. I had a house that I purchased at 26, seven years old. You know, I had, you know, really nice car. I did really nice things. I mean, I literally went from rags to riches. You know, I left a small part out, but I even lived in the gates of Bel Air. You know, I rented a house there. But I literally went from Hollywood where I was driving the Dodge Shadow through the gates of Bel Air at one point by living by Adam Sandler. I mean, my life is nothing but a Cinderella story, you know. And and but also the thing is that you created that you created, but also what you still are doing. And, you know, I know that, you know, I'm, we're not going to keep you on for an hour and a half, but we have so much that we could actually <laughs> talk about. But the fact that in the entire time you were giving back, it wasn't like you, you know, lived rags to riches and then we're like, okay, see y'all, you know, you continued with that service heart. And I say this to Cynthia mm-hmm. all the time and I know she's going to chuckle, but like, I really do think, uh, you know, whether you believe in God or the universe, I believe in God, but I do think that God puts certain people together 
that can make bigger impacts on the world. And I, every time I talk to an NFL spouse or anyone in the NFL community, I'm always blown away by the service heart. And it's just, it's, it makes me so proud to be a part of this and, and to tell these stories because these are the stories that people don't hear, right? They don't hear all the good stuff that happens behind the scenes. And the fact that, you know, you, as you said, you went from where you lived, you still had a close family, you know, you were there for your, your, your grandparents and your family. And as you were building yourself up, as you were, you know, healing yourself through abuse and all the stuff that you went, but you never forgot about the little man. You never forgot about the people that still needed you. And I think that's beautiful and just shows the kind of heart that you have. Exactly. Well, I feel like I, I don't regret anything in my life. And I feel like too, the bad stuff brought me to the good stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you have to see the dark in order to see the light. And I, I would take the dark stuff any day to get me where I am. And I feel like all of those taught me and made me who I am. And even like with the Playboy stuff, I, I wasn't the prettiest. I wasn't the tallest. I wasn't the skinniest, but I had work ethic. And so I worked all the time and I was able to buy the house and I was able to do all that stuff on my own and get that independence because of my work ethic, you know? And so to me, um, that, that's everything, you know, growing up in Youngstown, mm-hmm. Ohio. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. beautiful. So can um, you tell – oh, go ahead, Cynthia. Yeah, and like so I love the idea. So now here you are. You know, you talked about you have this sorority of friendships with, you know, the Playboy mansion and all the girls that are working alongside of you. And then you're going to head into a whole new kind of like sisterhood with the NFL women. And I feel like, you know, you're pretty much breaking stereotypes wherever you go because – now, not only are you introducing the NFL women to, um, you know, the idea of somebody who is with the Playboy Mansion, is with you, is with the girls, and they're saying, wow, she's she has so much beautiful depth. She's not what I thought they might be, which is what a lot of people say about NFL women, that they don't realize the depth that they have. So tell me how that transitioned for you and how it was for you coming into the league. You know... I didn't have a really easy time coming into the league. I, uh, there were a lot of people that were very, I was judged a lot and, um, I, it wasn't really easy for me, but I did find those few people that really supported me and looked past what they read or heard and things like that. And it ended up being really awesome. And those friendships are still there now. Um, but you know, Adam and I weren't married at the time I was doing the Howard Stern show and, you know, there was a lot of chatter. And so it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I don't think, um, but now that I'm around these women and, and recently being at the Super Bowl and things like that, you know, I wish that maybe it was even me, you know, maybe I'm at fault too. Maybe I had up my guard. Maybe I was insecure that they were judging me when they weren't, but, um, you know, I feel like it's like, like anything in life. It's just like, you've got to find those few people. And then it, once you break that barrier and they get to know you, then sometimes they open, open it up to other people. And that's what kind of happened with me. Beautiful. That but it beautiful. was hard. <laughs> it was, it was they're probably, hard. They're probably very like you, you know, they're probably just like you that they can see past something and see where you're getting and what you're doing and what you're doing with that platform and who you are, you know, yeah. and, um, so many times we talk to NFL women and they say, I wish that I could go back to my rookie year and say, hi, 
you know, I know I'm wearing, you know, like this and I'm just out of college, but, you know, this is who I am and not be so shy and so backwards and so fearful that, you know, you're being judged because I think we do, we all kind of do do that. I did the same thing when we were in New York. I just, they were the, they were NFL wise and I was just like, what am I doing here? You know, so then you meet them and you're like, what the heck? I wish I could have done that all over again. So I appreciate you saying that. But I'm glad you found your people right off the bat, though. I'm glad you found your circle. Those are the kind of people you want to be with anyways, you know, the ones that are non-judgmental from the start. Yeah, and that circle is still there, crazy as it may mm-hmm. seem. And, you know, we Adam and I were going through hard times, too, in within the league because he was having a hard time. He had a career-ending concussion that his career mm-hmm. should have just ended, and he continued on. And so the news was... There was constantly stuff about like him, about not doing his job and things like that. And so not only were people probably like, oh, gosh, who's this girl? Then they were like, now we've got this player that can't perform. And so there was a lot of like, um, you know, there was a lot of like just, I think, anger. And there was like Mm -hmm. hurt. And, you know, and I was always like, you know, I, like I said, I don't hardly know anything about football, but I was always like, this is a team effort. Why are you always on the newspaper? And it's just you that (laughs) you're not doing your job. Aren't you on a team? And it used to anger me. And I always told him, you should just, you should just sit on the bench. You're hurt. You shouldn't, somebody will take my job. I can't sit on the bench. And he played through the pain. And I, mm-hmm. I felt like that's when they write about you, when you're playing through the pain and they don't know you're in pain. And so I think, right. too, a lot of the times maybe, you know, people didn't let me in their inner circle because of what Adam was going through. Interesting. Right. Yeah, Very there's so there's so many layers to it. And that's, you know, bringing light. I mean, you know, we talk about this all the time on, you know, especially on the show is, you know, when someone is leaving the league or hurt, like, why does the news have to bash them even more? Like, why don't we say... Let's, this is a person. This is not just yeah. a football player. Mm-hmm. This is not something. This is a God's given gift this person got. Let's give them slack. Let's give the family slack when they're going through, you know, the leaving the league. Let's 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 support them there. Let's talk about it. Let's be there. You know, right. um, I think it's it, it breaks my heart because it's in so many different things talking to professional athletes, and then you're just like, you know after the, they leave the league, it's like, okay, who's getting their number? It's not like, what is that person going through? Like, this is something that they played mm-hmm. their entire life. This is their passion. This is what they loved. And all of a sudden it's taken away. Right. Let's put feelings to oh, that yeah. and not just like move on. Like I, that makes me actually so angry because I think it does, you know, and if someone doesn't have the support, if they don't have the support of a spouse or a girlfriend and they're there by themselves and a player's just going through their feelings in themselves, that's when, you know, that's when dark times happen and it shouldn't because it, mm-hmm. they should be uplifted and supported and then also praised. Thank you for doing what you did. And I know, you know, people will say, well, it's not the, you know, that fighting for the country. Yeah. But every person watches, you know, most people watch these games and they, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that needs to be, you know, light needs to be brought into it. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, there's a time Adam couldn't tie his, his cleats because, you know, his, his back, he had herniated discs. Like nobody knows that he'd ask mm, right. players to tie his shoes, you know? So there's so much that goes into it and they are human beings. And, you know, it makes me really sad that a lot of times, like you said, it's just like, okay, well, who's up next, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Really does. Yeah. It's just a quick circle. And that's why I love having these conversations because I hope always that the current spouses and players are listening or hear about it somehow because, 
as you're like, you know, as you're a rookie and you're making it, then all of a sudden there's this awesome turn where you sign a couple, a great contract, the best contract of your career, and then starts to swing down. And that's when, you know, your neighbors are like, don't listen to what they say about you on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, wait a minute, what are they saying on the radio? And then you're like, okay, it's time to go. Everybody wants you to go. Everybody wants you to leave. And they can't wait for the next person to come in. And you are a person and you are a family and you've committed to the community. You've given your time you've donated your time and that's when it's so you take it personally but when you hear the other woman tell the story you realize no it's a business and that part of it is the business so you have to just kind of like keep your relationships smart and strong within the league and friendships outside of the league so that you know when that is time to go you still have those people that value you for who you are not what you did for a while yeah and rely on, you know, like, I mean, Adam, many times he, uh, the pastors on the team was his support system nice. and they do have a good support system when you need it. If you can ask for it, if they know you're going through it, but that's right. the problem. These guys, you know, they're, they're, they're men. They're like these egotistical, they are these football players. They don't want to ask for help unless somebody really mm. sees you hurting. And that's right. so true. That's so true. Well, you know, thank you so much for sharing all that. And I do want to get, because I know I want to talk about Child's Help and what you're doing and how you got involved in the charity and then the event that's happening in April. Yes. yes. So we, uh, I've been a part of this charity since 2014. I've got, I got involved uh, from a friend, uh, Tiffany Quell, and she said, can you help me get local athletes to walk on the show? And so I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is crazy. I just had a baby. I have three kids. My husband travels. And so <laughs> I just thought she was crazy. But then I thought I could make the time and I could do this. And I did. And I continued to work for them, you know, as a volunteer for many years, just doing the fashion show. And my kids walked every year. And um, it raises a lot of money. It's for abused children. Uh, Sarah and Yvonne have an awesome story. They were in Tokyo. There was a typhoon, and uh, basically, uh, these kids were orphanages, or they were orphans. And she took eleven of them back to the U.S. Of course, they got clearance and things like that. But um, you know, they were considered throwaway, and mm -hmm. they started uh, this amazing organization that uh, help abuse children. One in five kids a day uh, die from child abuse. Mm. And uh, if you ever went to their center, which if you ladies ever come, um, I'd love to take you to the center. Um, what's amazing is I've had my, I had a, um, when I was younger, I was sexually assaulted. And so I remember in Ohio, we didn't have a place where, you know, you, you went to the police station and then you told your story and then you went to the hospital and you told your story and your story changes as a young child. And people also tell you what your story should be. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I love about child help is you tell your story one time at the center and they have children advocate advocates there that are like used to working with children. So you're not dealing with a homicide detective. You're dealing with somebody right. who can deal with a child, a psychologist that could deal with the child. And uh, Phoenix Children Hospital is there. And obviously they work with children. So um, it's, you're telling your story one time, they get the story, which is most important. And then that child gets what they need. And it's so amazing. And, um, we raise a lot of money and, uh, 
There's a lot of involvement too. I have a 15 year old son. He's able to do things and give back through them because they have the wings program. And it's really amazing. So this is my third year chairing, which is like kind of crazy because who chairs three times? But um, you, <laughs> you know, do. I love, I get, yeah, my, me and my friend Jamie Levine, uh, she's doing it for the second year. Uh, we're going to put on this uh, circus theme fashion show this year. We're going to have uh, a lot of local celebrities and athletes walk in it and plan on making a lot of money and helping a lot of kids out. And it's just a really, really great cause. And I think with the pandemic and just financially where a lot of people are, we don't realize um, how how bad things are. And I also work as a CASA. So I'm a court appointed special advocate for foster kids. And we now have kids in group homes that are six years old. Mm-hmm. And people just don't understand that a lot of times the abuse happens within, you know, a home that you're in a group home with 16, 17 year old kids now. And right. so we are just in a really bad, bad place as far as just taking care of our, our kids. And I will do everything and anything to help. And, you know, child help is one of the great ones that they do everything they can. And we have a hotline now too for athletes. There's a lot of, you know, internal stuff that goes on where, you know, as an athlete, sometimes you don't feel like you could speak up because maybe you're afraid, you know, you won't get into the college and the recruits and things like that Mm -hmm. because you've, you have this situation going on in your high school or college. So we even have a, a hotline for the athletes now where, you know, we're, we have all these different, um, numbers you can call, uh, for everybody. That's, That's great. And tell us when, when is the, the event? So it's, uh, April 16th and it's a luncheon and, um, it's 11 to two and it's on a Sunday. And, um, like I said, it's circus theme. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have like, you know, clowns walking on stilts. I don't know about the clowns. They said clowns are scary, but we're going to have this whole circus <laughs> theme with like cotton candy and popcorn. And, um, I'm, I have a TDI dog. He's walking in the show and, um, we're, we're going to just have like a really great time. It's going to be awesome. That's great. Are you all set with all the players that are modeling and their wives and kids and like local? Are you all set with that? Or do you have a registration form that you'll accept models still? Yes. I mean, we're still looking for models. You know, I like to switch it up every year. Um, I reached out to Erica. I know a lot of people are busy and there's like been some spring breaks and stuff like that. So I'm hoping for at least three or four more families. And we love to showcase the whole family. And we dress you. We make it really easy. And um, they'll do hair and makeup if you want. And it's really easy. And it's like, it's for a great place. Yeah, I have a couple great families out there in Arizona that I would love to tell about that were former players and beautiful families. So I'll, I'll definitely make sure that I share the registration form on thread and through social and share it with the girls at off the field um, to get the word out there. And then, of course, you're accepting um, you're selling tickets to come. Um, do you register to come to the event as well? Is there a cutoff or is it um, how many nope, can we're come? S- we're selling um It'll close out once once we sold all our tickets, but we got a late start because of Super Bowl, so mm-hmm. we still have plenty of seats and tables to be sold, and hopefully I can put that in my um, bio where you can buy the tickets, if that's okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. And this is so, great. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And where, and where can, Beautiful. cause I know we have child help right here where, where it's the Instagram and you can also find Jennifer underscore Archuleta, but where is there another place that they can go as like a website for a registration or should they just go to your Instagram and they can find everything there? Yeah, I'll put it on my Instagram, but it's just uh, childhelp.org and mm-hmm. it's uh, the Arizona wings. Nice. That's beautiful. Yeah. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing that you're doing. And with, again, with your history and your own experiences and, you know, what a voice you bring and what an important cause to you. So, um, you know, there's such a value in it for families, for children, for anybody that is in a situation like that. So, wow, it's amazing what you're doing really and truly. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I I love it too. I mean, I I meet so many great people every day and then you just, you know, you can touch somebody and then they touch you and, and then so many people want to get involved, you know, once they Mm -hmm. they hear what it's about and things like that. So I'm hoping more people will come and get involved. That's amazing. And, and you just did something, didn't you do something? Um, there was a, cause this is a, uh, it's not, there's local chapters, but it isn't a a national organization. And you just did something, um, where you, when you were skiing, right. Didn't you, wasn't there an event or something? No, but I, I posted last year's event so people could see, we did Alice in Wonderland. It was super cute. And so I just wanted to do like a sizzle reel, like, Hey, now it's a circus. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. Well, good for you. Well, great. We'll, we'll definitely be promoting this and what you're doing and, Definitely pulling out some great clips and quotes from today to share your incredible message and journey. And I'm sure somebody was listening that was very inspired by all of your actions and your grit and, you know, your ethic. So good for you. It was a great show. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer, so much for joining. And again, you guys, you can find Jennifer underscore Archuleta. You can also go to child's uh, child help. You can also go to childhelp.org and it's the, uh, the Arizona wing program. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Right. Did I get that right? Wings, Arizona wings. And I mean, these are the kind of stories that we want you guys to really sit with, right? You're going to hear this. This is going to go out on all the podcast players next week. Um, it's one of those things. Think about who's in your world. Think about who's in your life that needs to hear this story. Someone needs to hear this story because they're maybe in a, in a hard time. Maybe they're in an abusive relationship. Maybe they're in a crossroads in their life where they're, you know, sleeping on that mattress, you know, uh, because they won that coin toss. Uh, but they're like, what does my life look like? Where am I? What am I doing? You have right. to think about the people's stories and what's going on behind the scenes. And everyone just has to be a little bit kinder <laughs> to, yes. uh, you know, to, to all, e- each of mm-hmm. us. So Jennifer, thank you again so much for joining right. Lioness Live here on right. and with NFA Thread on Fireside. We really appreciate it. Yes, indeed. Me. Thank you. What a pleasure. <laughs> bye, ladies. Yes, bye. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>